So welcome to episode 28. My name's Nish Manik, I'm a GP in Cambridge and this episode is with Hannah Miller who's a coach and something called Strength Finder. If you've been part of NextGen before you probably know what I'm talking about because she's run this session for almost every one of our programmes now, so more than 60 because she gets such great feedback and we just keep asking her again and again to do this. Here's a snippet of what's to come. One of the best pieces of advice I was given a long time ago uh, around this idea of missed opportunities or things not going away is write it in your diary six months from when it happens. So write down, for example, if it was today, in six months from now, which is about October, write, I did not get that job. And when it comes up, it's so interesting that it totally reframes it at that point because you're six months down the line and you realise, oh, look, that didn't actually matter. So that's just a sneak preview of what's to come. And Hannah's also going to talk a lot more about StrengthsFinder, the tool that I mentioned at the start. Most of NextGen have done, and I've done personally several times and found incredibly useful. And she's going to talk a bit more about things like burnout, what gives her energy, and how she copes with those wobbly moments. She's an absolutely amazing speaker. She just has this way of holding the room when she talks so much energy she's incredibly inspiring but also really honest about what she finds difficult and I've really come to admire her over the years so it was a real privilege to speak to her and I hope you enjoy the conversation here's Hannah Miller Hannah Miller welcome to Next Gen Cast. it's such a pleasure to have you here thank you so much for doing this I mean, for people that don't know you, you've been part of NextGen right from the very beginning. And I was prepping for the podcast. And I remember the first event that you did. I don't know if you do, but it was a warm day in London and you were running from the train station. And I'd never (laughs) met you. That's where we met. There was this room of medics on our first programme, all a bit tired, or Hmm. frankly, a little bit sceptical about this sort of thing. And you ran your session on strengths finders and just totally transformed this room with your magnetism as you do and your warmth and they were utterly buzzing by the end and didn't want it to be over and since then the feedback we get for you is phenomenal and so you've been on pretty much every single one of our programs and the podcast would not be complete without you so thank you for doing this thank you for having me it's absolute pleasure to be here Nish and to just get the chance to chat to you after such a long time so (laughs) great to be here thanks Anna so maybe for people that don't know you, say they haven't been on NextGen, because everyone that's been part of NextGen will know you. Could you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do? Yes, I'll be as brief as I can. So I'm Hannah. I have three children who are just about to be 19, 16 and 13. And I live in Birmingham and I've spent pretty much my whole life in the Midlands. My background, I started in actually business marketing, um, but quickly moved into teaching worked in the education sector and loved what I did and loved seeing the development of people. But for lots of reasons, a transition moment in my life, I decided to start my own business about, you know how we've lost track of time, but I think it was about six years ago, maybe seven, when I left teaching and began to work in the space of development with adults and supporting adults to becoming just everything they were meant to be. So there's sort of two things I do, and I use strengths, which is what you mentioned. There's two sides. I work with teams and organizations that are trying to work more effectively together as leadership teams or as organizations that want to understand each other well. And the other space I work in is more around that individual development. Who am I? What do I do best? How can I I do more of that? How do I transition into that? And I support people in those moments of growth. Okay, thanks. And I know that you've been really helpful to lots of next gen GPs in that space as well. Mm. So let's talk about the strengths bit of it first, although I know that's not yeah. all you do. How did you even start with strengths? And was mm. that part of why you left teaching? Was it something to do with wanting to pursue the strength mm. stuff more? Yeah, it's a really it's a really good question. So my first experience with strengths was actually so um fellow friend of Next Gen, Nick Harding, he and my sister and husband, who were friends with one another, had been introduced to the tool. And they introduced me to it and chatted to me and said, Yes, yeah, this is really interesting and find out your strengths. And that was when I was about 
well, early 20s, very early 20s. And that was my first experience of it. And although I hadn't done a lot with it over the next sort of decade, 15 years, it was something that I felt just had me nailed when I did it. And so if we fast forward and I'm an assistant head and I'm working in, a, um, in schools across the city to work in school improvement, and I'd loved what I'd done in many ways. A time came, actually some quite painful reasons where I felt like my time was coming to an end. And what I was going to do next didn't feel like another move in the same sector. And I, I can't put that down anything other than a sense of intuition. On top of that, there was a personal frustration that I so often saw people doing things because it was part of what they thought their job description should be, that they were clearly not made to do. And they were doing, we were sharing out the load of work in almost like this consistent, equal way, rather than I should be doing more of that and you should be doing more of that. And I felt a sense of frustration around that approach to being all rounded and trying to do and be everything. And so those things sort of collided. And I sort of thought, I want to come back to strengths. And I would like to be able to use that in a more formal, understood, um, you know, rather than just a tool that I turn to, but actually understand it well. Just at that time, Gallup were beginning to allow people to become certified coaches. So up until that point, people used the tool, but there was no sort of program of certification to say you actually knew what you were doing. And so I sort of, Felt like I, I jumped onto that bandwagon at just about the right time. I was one of the first European cohorts to go through the training. Armed with that, I thought, right, this is it. I need to now begin to do this with individuals, teams, people, so that they can stop wasting time trying to do and be everything and find out more about what they should be. So, yes, it was pretty instrumental. <laughs> okay, so you sort of touched on briefly what strengths finder is and mm. most next geners will know it but if mm. people don't understand what it is could you explain that and you said it nailed you and it nails everyone <laughs> that does it I don't quite get how it does that so mm. people have probably done other personality or mm. leadership type mm. tests mm. what is so special about strengths finder to you yes and and there are some brilliant tools out there and there's some great things to complement strengths but for me it was the one that i felt was the most nuanced and able to to understand me so strengths is a profiling assessment tool looking at personality and preference it's rooted essentially in the concept of what we are drawn to what we prefer what we lean towards is a clue towards our natural preferences and therefore our areas of talent and strength and when we can begin to see what those are compared to all the other aspects of personality and preference what comes to the top of our report we can begin to invest in those areas and make them really brilliant so when you get the assessment and you see these these words which sort of describe certain preferences and strengths for you it does not mean that they are a fait accompli in your life and this is me at my best it shows you this is where i should be um, harnessing my time, my investment, my practice, because this is where I have the most natural propensity to become brilliant. This is what I love to do. This is what I'm made to do. This is what I should do more of. So the, the whole assessment process is looking for those clues towards natural preference, moments of flow, the thoughts, feelings and behaviours that you most naturally have that you can learn to productively apply. There are 34 strengths and you get a top five in your assessment. Okay, so playing devil's advocate slightly, yeah. when I was first introduced to this about four, four or five years ago now, I was a bit sceptical because I thought, why shouldn't we focus on our weaknesses? Like, my mm. strengths are already strong, so I don't mm. really understand why I'm investing in those. Mm. So to give an example, and I really recommend people do it with their partners because it's been quite illuminating for me mm. and my husband. He has self-assurance in his strengths, which is so far from anything that would describe me, I think. So why shouldn't I work on that, which I obviously don't have in my top five, probably nowhere near it. Why would one focus on the strengths and not their weaknesses? Such a good point. And it's something I've been thinking about a lot. <laughs> there is absolutely a place for us to understand, name and know our weaknesses. And I think sometimes we have a potential to misrepresent strengths when we say that that isn't a part of it. 
But what we need to do is to really know, understand and lean into our strengths because they are our clues and our way out of the things that we find more difficult. So when we realize that we actually have a challenge with our own sense of self-assurance, for example, I would encourage people to think about how can I sort of grow my confidence by using the strengths that I have? What do I have that I can lean into to give me that sense of, okay, when I've I've done this work on my strengths, let's say your strengths are uh, learner and input, perhaps one of the ways your confidence would grow is to grow that sense of knowledge on an area to think I'm going to really be sure I'm prepared and I understand what I'm talking about. And that will grow my self-assurance. But the flip side also is there are some things that will always be a challenge for us. And we may have to make our peace with that. And we may need, so for example, for Nish, my self-assurance is low as well. And I need more regular, perhaps doses of encouragement from others that I'm on the right track. And I perhaps have to accept that's part of my personality. And if I try and round out that weakness too much, I can also bring down the effectiveness of my area of strength because if part of my area of strength is that I make those connections with people and that I have perhaps more of a need for people if I try and say well I don't need people I'm sort of reducing or diluting the power of my strength so I think there is a way to think these are some things that I need to work on so I, I use the example in my blog this week from Ben Francis the founder of Gymshark he said he wasn't very good at public speaking. And obviously, he's his person in the public eye. And when you hear him talk, you, you wouldn't think that. But when you listen to him talk, he is clearly an, an avid learner. And so he just picked the brains of everybody and he learned and he practiced. He's also got discipline, definitely. He learned and he practiced. He learned and he practiced. And that was how he grew something that was not natural for him. And he didn't try to become Mr. Magnetizing, you know, public speaker or somebody that he wasn't because it it feels uncomfortable to watch people do that. He's learned to do it in a way that works for him. That's really helpful. Thank you, Hannah. And, you know, Ben has agreed to come on the podcast, not till December. He has agreed in principle. So watch out for that one. Just very cool. Yeah, people can't see my face. (laughs) There was like this big MV green, (laughs) excited. Yeah, that's brilliant. I'm really pleased. Thank you. It's a good point you make there, actually. As you were saying that, I now realise that my self-assurance might be low, but I have harmony quite high in my strengths. And I've come to realise that that's the thing about strengths, isn't it? You sort Mm. of think everybody is good at all of these things. So how were they strengths? But it's only Mm. when you go deeper into it that you understand they're unique to you. So harmony means I can bring people together around a purpose. And that's given me a bit more self-confidence because when I'm doing something, I realise not everybody can perhaps do that. And it gives me a bit more self-assurance that I Mm. have brought people together around a, a common goal. So people listening who haven't done it, some of these words won't quite make sense, but I do really recommend going and doing it and you'll be freaked out probably by how accurately it describes you. I bet you get that reaction a lot from people. Oh gosh, yes. And also the the previous point I get a lot when people say, well, isn't this what everybody does? Mm. And, And I spend a lot of my time saying, no, they don't. You just feel like that because it feels natural to you. And and sometimes people will say to me, actually, in the, in the sort of the, the medical world, they'll say, well, all doctors do that. And I'll say, no, they don't. I've worked with literally thousands. I, I can speak with a lot of data and confidence that that's just not the case for sure. Yeah. And what I do like about it is it's a very positive approach. So you start off by, OK, I've got five things I'm good at. Like that's when do you do that? I don't know. Medicine particularly. Nobody sits down and tells you what you what you're good at. You're constantly being told where you should improve. So it's a lovely positive stance and then you may think about where you need to progress or what some of the flip sides of your strengths may be. But just to start with, here's some things I'm good at naturally is is such a great place to be and a great mindset. Absolutely. And we just don't have, like you say, both in the world of the medical profession, but just society in general, I think we either say flippant things like, oh, you're amazing, which uh, doesn't actually help somebody grow or we realize all the things that we feel critical of ourselves or others are critical of where we need to make improvements space for accurate positive feedback is quite missing mm. for def- in all in all walks of life actually and I think it's really useful to explain differences between people like mm. I always come back to the 
example with my husband, but he has like ideator and strategy, but we both have intellect and learner. Mm. So, and I have things like discipline and focus. So if we go on holiday, I need a plan. It needs to be pretty jam packed, but I would like to sit down and learn about where we are and maybe read books and things. And he has this kind of go with the flow, you know, doesn't really need a map or just wander around and get lost and then find his way again. But mm. also would like to sit down with a book. So we both mm. have bits that we have in common. And it's caused so many arguments. Now, <laughs> no, it's okay. He just has ideator and strategy. And mm. that's why he's being weird. And I have that's discipline it. and focus, which are so different to that. So and, and I, th- I think you're right then when you have that kind of accurate understanding the penny drops you said that's why that's why we're approaching this so differently sometimes there is a a better way in terms of one strength might be more suited to a certain situation but actually most of the time it's just a case of we're seeing the same situation from very different viewpoints because of our strengths I often talk about how our strengths are almost like the glasses that we're wearing and it's the way we see the world and so somebody else is wearing a different set of glasses to the ones that you are wearing. So therefore, it impacts upon just the decision making, the processing. You know, one of the things that I come back to a lot is often we set up the world to suit certain ways of thinking and working. And so we're not getting the best out of some people, perhaps those who like more time to ponder or reflect. They just don't get that because we're set up all our meetings. Right. We need to make a decision today. We need your thoughts on this how are we missing out on so much of the gold in people because of leaning into just certain ways of working that don't accommodate for for other preferences but I do think the husband back to your point the husband wife thing is is a great one and it's also saved many a situation annoyingly sometimes my husband will say things like oh your beliefs popping out when I'm being opinionated and I'm like that's not the (laughs) the way to use it (laughs) but I like the way you talk about the lens because it makes you slightly more rather than going oh why is he being like that whether it's a partner or team member or somebody at work it it makes you say okay let me be curious Mm. what is the strength that is coming out here that maybe I don't have or I don't see so it's a bit it's a bit more patient and understanding isn't it rather than you bloody idiot what are you doing (laughs) that's it curious is a very good word to use I like that word (laughs) so going back to you said you've worked with lots of doctors so I'm kind of curious to know doctor leaders is what next gen is about Mm. and I know you've worked one-on-one with quite a lot of people Mm. now even from the program because they hear you speak and they love you so much have you learned anything about strengths and maybe something that's common amongst doctors particularly? Or have you got examples of where you've worked with people and understanding your strengths as a leader has helped mm. them in their leadership mm. role? Yeah, I think, oh gosh, time and time again, I have I have to say, while I've got the chance to, it's been a real privilege of the last few years of my working life to work so closely with so many doctors. I feel like it has given me an insight that um, there is an affinity because I guess I was also a public servant that I understand, but also there is so much I have learned and understood. And I think what I've often seen is the challenge of feeling like there is so much to do and to achieve and to juggle that one of the biggest challenges I constantly see is where is where is my sort of space to actually look at and think about what I particularly contribute because I just don't have the time to do that and I think as you're being a doctor leader and you're looking at potential for portfolio work and and several roles how do we make good choices around the things that we do how do I even know what's the right or good opportunity for me? Or do I do this because I'm on a trajectory of what people expect or I thought I'd do? So I think one of the things that I've been able to do is to help people step off um, the, 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 the playing field for a moment and actually stop and be a bit of a spectator for a moment and say, let's just press pause and look at where things are at. What's bringing you life? Uh, what's bringing you enjoyment? What's really challenging right now? And what part of your strengths is making that more difficult for you? When we get under the surface of some of the key challenges, you know, trying to finish on time, fair share of work that we're doing, those are often related to the shadow side or the challenges of that person's very strengths. And so helping them to understand why this is a challenge for them and why this is maybe more difficult for them in terms of their leadership or how do they square this circle has been something that I've been able to do. I think also, think, particularly thinking about general practice, the whole thing is about I've got to be able to be 
all-rounded. I've got to be able to turn my hand to so much. Um, that is the nature of the job. So I think more than ever, the strengths focus is very useful because it's a counterbalance to where I've got to have knowledge and understanding across the board. How do I develop a leadership and a career trajectory that actually fits me rather than some sort of cookie cutter mold of what I think that should look like? Thank you. And you talked there about GPs having to choose between opportunities and that Mm. comes up quite a lot. So have you got any advice for people who listening to that are thinking, how should somebody go about deciding whether it's the right role for them? Is it how it plays to their strengths or Mm. how would you approach that? So uh, first of all, if somebody's listening and they've not done their strengths, that's a great place to start to help you. But I think whether you have or you haven't, I would I think the thing I would say for people to do is to take stock for a moment and to try. This is really hard at the moment. And I'm being aware with the the doctors I'm coaching at the moment that um, we've been through especially challenging times. This is more difficult than ever. But to try and press pause and think about the things and the aspects of your life that you particularly enjoy. And they might be micro moments. So if you're feeling like, oh, gosh, the whole day, the 12 hours is feeling overwhelming. Try and be present and pay attention across a week or across a month to when you are feeling a little bit more alive. Oh, that interaction was interesting. Oh, that meeting, that email, that conversation, that diagnosis, that data, whatever it might be, pay attention to that graph of of how you're feeling in terms of the up, down of enjoyment, satisfaction, fulfillment, and so on, on a micro level. And try and take a bit of a commentary on that. So it's one of the things I encourage people to do and I work with them more, more closely. Obviously, having your strengths helps. But even without that knowledge, you can do that. And then I would try to prioritise around what do I really love to do out of that? So when you then begin to look at opportunities, you have to decide what criteria you're going to use. Is the criteria that this is something that gives me kudos or people will look up to or will give me more letters after my name? And is that even important to me or is it important to other people? What is important to me? Um, What do I love to do? And is it going to involve very much of that? So if you love um, the data side of things and there's an opportunity that comes up that does involve actually looking at some of the, the bigger picture around data and trends, that's a great fit. If you don't really like that, but this is an opportunity you could take and it's well paid, I'd say be cautious um, because we want to try and in a squiggly way, uh, get to a place where we're learning about ourselves and gaining feedback so we make better decisions going forward. And you know, it's not about always landing in the ideal situation. We learn from every role and opportunity we take. You, even if you take, I've took jobs and wished I hadn't taken them. So that's okay. That is also okay. You learn, you think, why didn't I enjoy that? Was it the work or was it the values? Was it the culture or was it the actual stuff I was doing? And so I suppose the piece I'm trying to get at here is to gather the knowledge and the feedback so that you are armed with literal data on yourself to help you make good choices and also take wise counsel from people that know you well and aren't just going to say things to you like oh this is a good opportunity is it a good opportunity (laughs) is it a good opportunity because it sounds like it's going to put you in front of the right people or will it eat at your satisfaction and soul you know essentially we have a finite time and that's important to think about that's so helpful. Thanks, Hannah. I was just thinking as you were saying that as GPs, we're quite good at that incremental data gathering approach. Mm. That's what we do with our patients. We try something, we see if it works, we decide on the next thing. So it's you're sort of saying a similar approach to choosing opportunities. Mm. And if something doesn't work, that's just as useful information as when it does. I'm also thinking about a group of people who might be thinking, I can't even get my head out of the water the Mm. day is so hard I feel like I'm drowning all the time at the moment I'm thinking of friends actually who are burnt out one or two who've resigned from jobs one who's left the profession entirely Mm. we're probably going to see sadly more of that in the post-pandemic world if there's somebody listening who is feeling like that who just can't even think about how they're you know how they're going to get through the day is there anything you'd, you'd say to those people as a, as a starting point, maybe to try and improve things around them? Yeah, really good point. And I've I've worked with and I'm working with people who are feeling like that. You know, some of the feedback I'm getting is 
sometimes I sit in the car in the morning and I don't want to get out of the car and that kind of feeling. And I find that heartbreaking to hear. I think what I would say is there's some potentially tough decisions down the line, but also to be kind to yourself right now that you have faced a very difficult season and that 1% changes are still worth making. So what can you do? What is in your control? You know, coming back to that whole, what is in your sphere of control? Where do you need to draw some boundaries and lines around the work that you're doing so that you can get to a place where you can carve out time? You know, there are seasons in life where we are literally treading water and keeping our head above water. I remember the year when I was leaving teaching. It was um, the hardest year of my life. Uh, We had a sudden death. My father-in-law died running in the park and my best friend had an aneurysm that meant that she can't talk or use the right side of her body anymore. And she has no family apart from her husband. So the toll that that took on us, the amount of time I spent visiting her in rehabilitation, I had a very stressful job in a very stressful school with a lot of responsibility, a lot of safeguarding. I mean, I could cry thinking about that year. So the reason I'm sharing this is to say, I fully, I don't fully understand your situation, but I fully empathize with, I am literally going to work to keep my head above. And I chose to keep going to work. For me, it was more dangerous to think about having time off. I wanted to be at work. I needed some normality. But you do have to realize that in those seasons, you may just be keeping your head above water. Now, I realized, Nish, in that year, that there was no margin in my life. So when something came into my life of that magnitude, which nobody can plan for, and there was just a few of those things of magnitude that rolled along at the same time. My mum got a diagnosis of Parkinson's as well. So there was a lot. I had no margin for that. And so when things calmed down a bit, it was then that actually I was able to, to address quite how difficult it had been. And I think what I would say is ask for help and remove things from your plate that you do not need to do. Let your house be a mess or let somebody clean it for you if you're financially able. Eat easier food, buy ready-made food from a good healthy company. I don't mean, you know, eat rubbish, but cut out things that make you feel like if you've got children, buy a flipping birthday cake, don't make one from, you know, you I would say remove the things that are not mission critical, that nobody is holding, should be holding a stick over your head to say you should be doing those things perfectly. If you are keeping your head above water, remove those things. And then when you have found some equilibrium again and you can see the wood for the trees, get some help, see a counsellor, get some coaching. Get yourself to a place where you can create some space by being ruthless about unimportant things in that season. and recognize that this might be not the year that you can run a marathon. It might not be the year that you can do another qualification. It might not be the year that you can get mother of the year award. And quite frankly, none of us are going to get that or father of the year because we're all just doing our best. But my biggest advice to those of you in the profession with young children is literally choose what matters and let go of the things that you are holding yourself up to a standard of that maybe you just need to let go for a while. I like that word margin. That's so important, isn't it? And I know it's a cliche, but as doctors, we are we do have perfectionistic tendencies. And, you know, you sort of think people are doctors. And then, as you said, they are running marathons and they are Mm. opening cake shops. I feel like GPs particularly always seem to be doing amazing things alongside the day job. And that makes us all just feel a little bit inferior. But Mm. you're so right. Not, you know, that stuff is not necessarily important. As someone said to me the other day, they said, you know, sometimes you can just focus on doing one thing and doing it well. That's so if, right. If your weight or your fitness isn't great, you know, for now, that's okay. Just leave that. Mm. Just focus on the day mm. job and getting through that. And you can worry mm. about, you know, maybe I shouldn't be saying this as a GP, but you can worry about your fitness another time. You don't mm. have to be excelling mm. in everything no. all and of you, the time. And you could just say, I, I mean, a doctor friend of mine, actually, really interestingly, she said, I knew I was becoming almost addicted to performance with running. So she said, I yeah. don't let, she said, I don't let myself at the moment ever run more than 5K. And I never time myself. I know the loop and I do it for my space of my head. I need it, but that's what I do. And there is some wisdom in that, that actually doing it for the sake of doing it and not turning it into a, a challenge of beating or better 
that can be real a resistance against that. You're resisting the, the pressure for everything to be about better performance and saying, I'm going to do this. If I want to stop and walk for 10 spaces, I will. And it doesn't matter. Um, that's hard. I realize what I'm saying is hard when you're wired that way, but that is a challenge in and of itself and quite freeing. That's really true. And I think you said once, you said doctors tend to have achiever in a, quite a lot in mm. there. I don't actually, but they have it in their top five. So I'm thinking about your your own journey a bit, Hannah, there, and you mm. talked about how we should think about not having to excel at everything. So you formed your own company, which I find just incredible. Well, I, I sort of watched that journey from afar as you were forming Sidekick. I wondered if we could step away from strength specifically. Let's talk about you and how, you know, what was that like for you? <laughs> what was hard and how do you find it now a, a few years down the line? Yeah, good, really good question. Do you know, it's, a, it's again, it probably comes down to personality that I imagine some people had who have done that kind of thing, have got great master plans and they sort of know exactly where it's going to go uh, and what they're trying to be and where they're trying to end up. And And I didn't. I just had a gut feeling that it was the right thing to do. I think it's been a really interesting journey. It's been brilliant and it's been hard feeling such a sense of personal responsibility of for my to make sure that I am contributing financially to the family and if I don't nobody's going to pay me and in the pandemic that was really hard I felt all of my performance buttons and my um and my well everything I don't know I felt like everything was going to begin to crumble at that point and what on earth was I going to do it was it was huge and it has it has illuminated some dark places of my thinking for sure because there's nowhere to hide it has also been amazing privilege and an interestingly very risky ride you know I do talk about playing to strengths and I do talk about not trying to be brilliant at everything now I do want to say as a caveat I haven't nailed that at all okay I heard somebody say the other day in fact somebody we both love Oliver Berkman he said um you know we tend to write and talk about the things we know are important not because we've got them sorted but because we know they're really hard and I think everything I talk about I really struggle with um so I haven't got that sorted and I do try and be brilliant at everything and the the biggest things I've learned is you need to ask for help and there are people who can do things better than you and you need to let them in um, and give them space to develop you and to to grow what you're doing. I think the thing I probably found the hardest of the business journey was working on my own in the early early years. I'm a real team person. I Obviously, I love go. I used to, you know, trundle in and do my, my workshop and love being part of something and then think they're a team and I'm not in their team and I go home and I'm on my own. And I would say to people who are thinking about going alone, be aware of that, because I found that incredibly hard. I, I felt on you, you might not feel like that if you're not that bothered. But for me, I'd gone from being part of a big team that I looked after to not having anybody. And so having people to to be part of my team now has been just the biggest blessing. It's also a massive challenge. I know how other people's wages to think about, but I do love the collaboration and I do feel like that's. That's been a, a really great thing. So I guess what I'd say is I didn't have a master plan. I spoke to people in the early days who gave me advice and said, why don't you think about that? Why do you think about that? And, and realise that, that things do need a plan, but also things unfold has been probably the biggest lesson I've learned over the last few years. Slightly um, yeah. getting a dry mouth just thinking about it because <laughs> it sounds really scary. I mean, that sounds like a childish thing to say, maybe, but it, it going out on your own, setting up your own company. I, I remember watching you go through that rebranding, trying mm. to get clients, and even now you're constantly just pushing boundaries with new courses and products and mm. Instagram things. And I'm not very good at Instagram, but I can see bits going on. <laughs> so when you get those moments where you think, oh gosh, is this going to work? What have mm. I done? Mm. How do you cope talking to other people you said? Is there anything mm. else you do? Yeah, uh, there are moments um, which we'll all have in our sort of life and our professional career in different ways where I, all I can say is you feel very exposed. Mm, you feel like you've, word, put, yeah. Yeah, you've put yourself on the line. It must be what it feels like if you are somebody who, I often think about, I don't know, a songwriter and they perform a song for the first time in front of people and this is this part of who they are that they are sharing with the world and they may get rejected. And I am not somebody who is 
um, totally self-assured and not doesn't need other people. So for me, that's a doubly hard thing. Now, just as a little side, as I sort of share this story, if I was talking to someone about Unish or about Next Gen, I can sell that to anybody anywhere in the world. Uh, I am the best at that. Like I literally have got absolute confidence in my ability to tell people about good things. So if I've read a good book, if I've watched a good film, uh, it's one of my favorite things to do. When it comes to myself, that feels incredibly vulnerable. It feels um, exposing. It feels self-centered. It feels all those things that I do not want to be. And I have experienced that on a daily basis in some way, shape or form, and then in bigger waves as I've learned something bigger. How have I coped with it was your question. You know, I've, I've learned to spot the signs and I've learned to spot when I'm starting to get validation from whether this works or not. So a quick story, the Purpose Pursuit course. In the last cohort, um, I got some help externally from someone who really understands paid advertising on social media. It's not my area. I actually don't really like it either, to be honest. And I got some help from this woman and um, she gave me lots of advice and I did as I was told and I changed copy and I did all the things that she said I should do. And I, 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 we went through the process again. And as we started to sort of open the doors for sales, I felt really exposed again. And I thought, is this going to work? Is anyone going to buy it? Now, the interesting thing about this story I don't mind sharing with the podcast is we got very similar results as to when I did it myself, even though I'd paid somebody. And what I felt I lost in the process was I lost my voice and I lost my authenticity. So I learned ever such a lot through that process. I learned that I needed to trust myself. I needed to trust the way I wanted to do it. That doesn't mean you don't take advice, but that I didn't necessarily want to play the game that she was suggesting I should play. And I also spent some time making my peace with the fact that if nobody bought it, it would be okay and I would not be worth any less or any more. Uh, I have, I have a, for me, my faith is important to me. And I came back to places of rootedness and thought, I do not get my, I am no more loved or worthy if I sell 10 million courses or none. And I, I really made myself go back to that place and make my peace with it. I would encourage anybody, whenever you're stepping out to do anything, to, to root yourself back in these things are great, but they will make me no more, um, no more loved by my loved ones, no more worthy. They shouldn't do, and they, 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 they definitely they don't. And remind yourself of these things do not actually matter. And I would go through that process because I otherwise felt alone and exposed, vulnerable. And and you're you're putting your hope in things that are outside of your control. Those things are completely outside of my. If nobody buys from me or ever wants to work with me again, that is outside of my control. So that's a very shaky ground to build your foundation on. Mm. And you're talking about buying products then. I was just thinking of the parallel with leadership. If somebody's mm. thinking of applying for a role, Same. if nobody buys you as a person, actually that's that's okay. It's not life or death. And sometimes it is in general practice, but it's not really in the leadership mm. space usually. So it's, you know, is your identity wrapped up in being successful in mm. this role or whatever? It, maybe you're thinking of writing a blog or thinking of doing mm. something. How much of my identity is wrapped mm. up in that? Because mm. like this podcast was similar, actually. Mm. I sort of thought, oh, no one's going to listen. And But then I thought, does it doesn't actually matter if no, my mum will listen. That's fine. There'll be one person and it doesn't yeah. really matter. It's not I am not my podcast. You are not the thing Absolutely. that you're trying to do. You are someone else. And I talk to people about, you know, alternative measures of success. You know, mm. if it's actually something that you have loved to do. I, I'm also thinking about starting a podcast because I love chatting. And again, if I have a measure of success that it becomes, you know, this massive hit, I'm setting myself up for a whole world of pain. If my measure of success is, have I had some interesting conversations? Have I enjoyed doing this? Has it contributed something to my own learning? Mm. If nobody else is, I can, I can, I can win at that. (laughs) And that can be something that's outside of, again, other, I can't control whether anybody listens to it. Of course, there's things we can do. You know, I understand how the world works. But again, like you said about leadership, sometimes when things pass us by, one of the best pieces of advice I was given a long time ago uh, around this idea of missed opportunities or things not going away is write it in your diary six months from when it happens. So write down, for example, If it was today, in six months from now, which is about October, right, I did not get that job. And when it comes up, it's so interesting 
that it totally reframes it at that point because you're six months down the line and you realize, oh, look, that didn't actually matter. I've done that a few times when certain pieces of work, whatever didn't come off. And I have sort of smiled to myself and thought at the time that felt big. And now I can see it in its rightful place. And that can help you deal with future disappointments by having done that kind of thing. Mm, That's such a good exercise. Thank you. And I just was also thinking about you as a person. You talked Mm. about having those wobbly moments. How do you refill yourself? You are the coach that you are giving and giving and giving (laughs) all the time. And, you know, you hear about you've got to fill yourself up if you're going to Mm. keep giving. What Mm. do you do to refill your own reservoirs Mm. if you're feeling a bit drained? Yeah, really good. I think there's things that I know I don't do well enough. And one of those things is I don't do sleep well enough or... um, at the moment, I'm not disconnecting well enough, which is a, a challenge of pandemic and more work from home, etc. So those are some challenges. What I know works well for me is connection. For me, it's about connection with people. I'm a people person. I do love to go and be alone with my dog. I love walking my dog and, and we're alone together and I need that time. But I also love walking my dog with a friend or having a meal with friends or being with family. And I love, genuinely love to laugh and tell a story. I really do. So when I get that, um, those are the things that particularly fill my tank. It's connect, proper connection, storytelling, uh, life sharing. Time on my own is mainly the walking part um, or reading a book. Those are the things I would love to do. I just, I, I also, I'm in a book club now, Nish. I've done that as a bit of a... Yeah, and I've done that to make me read more because I love reading. I just don't prioritise it in normal life. And then on holiday, read like 20 books. So I've got just four of us and um, we read a book and we talk about it and we have a chance to be together. And it it makes me make some time. 10 minutes a day doesn't have to be hours. Mm. So I'm trying to build some principles in, you know, I'm trying to work on the principle of 1% change is still 1% change. Um, Those are the things that refill me. I think just on that point as well is I... I I do a lot of reviewing of what I've been doing and realizing what's taken from my tank and readjusting things and thinking, okay, that was a bit much. I need to watch that. And I I realize I can't immediately change my work calendar, but I might try to plan in a bit further down the line outlets. I'm quite a work hard, play hard kind of person. um, And that's that's what works for me. And it goes back to that perfectionist thing as well, like the book club. You don't have to be, if you want to do something like read or run or whatever it might be, you don't have to be amazing at it. You can just read five minutes of a trashy novel and still read Absolutely. it. But we were saying, oh no, if I'm going to be a reader, I better find a big hard book and read it all. And, <laughs> and then you never do it. Absolutely. <laughs> so I like that sort Absolutely. of micro improvements. That's yeah. really good. Hannah, I'm so conscious of the time. I've suddenly looked at the time, but I could just talk to you for hours oh, about I know. you and what you do. And I think because you're just amazing and so lovely to chat to. Last question before I do the quick fire, if that's yeah. okay. You've mentioned some great things already yeah. that people could do. So thinking about micro moments of joy, mm. I thought that was really mm. useful. And learning to sort of refill, refill your tank. So if if people don't have time for coaching, and I would really suggest they mm. at least do StrengthsFinder, if not mm. get in touch mm. with you and definitely sign up to your blog, by the way, which I love. What could people go away and do as an exercise mm. now, having listened to this, that you think would be really helpful for them as GP leaders? Mm. I, I think do their strengths. That's an absolute definite thing to do. If you've already done it, go back, read your report again and remind yourself, and an and, and exercise you could do is which of these strengths are in the ascendancy at the moment and being used and which okay. are not. I think another thing that's a good exercise, and if people ever get involved with me on a sort of more deeper level, I talk about this. Think about your values as well as your skills. So another exercise is to spend a bit of time thinking about what do I really value? As in, is it is it loyalty? Is it expertise? Is it family? Is it aesthetics? Is it health? What, what are the words you would use? Almost like to five words that, that are the non-negotiable values. And this is a bit of self-coaching and, and to be thinking, am I, how am I doing with that in terms of the choices that I'm making? And then to sort of ruthlessly think about <laughs> if I'm not. What am I going to begin to do? We can't just walk away from our lives and say, you know, oh, gosh, right. Nothing fits. That's not realistic. So you might be able to do that. And good luck if you can. But I wouldn't be able to do that. But you can move the needle, which is going back to this micro one percent, you know, whatever. What can I do that starts to pay attention? Quick story from a doctor I worked Mm. with. 
on values. She realized that family was a massively important value to her and that it was perhaps less so for her husband. And so they hadn't been having as much connection, not that he obviously didn't value his family, but he didn't need as much connection time. And she was aware that she had prioritized career value rather than family value. And one of her micro changes was she said, I'm going to go back to my workplace and I'm going to ask for a slight readjustment in my hours on these days a week so I can do a longer day that day and then a couple of shorter days so I can be more around for those times. She said, I don't think they're going to say yes, there's no way. So then I said to her, which is the coaching question I often give people is what's the worst that could happen? She said, well, the worst that could happen is they say no. Essentially, the end of that story is they agreed to her change in hours. And for her, that was a rebalancing towards the values that she wanted to be working out in her life that she knew were out of kilter. Um, guy we love, the Atomic Habits guy. What's his name? James Clear. Yeah, James yeah. Clear. Has a li- he has a list of values on his oh, does, website. Yeah. So go find those and see which ones um, really sound re- resound with you. That's that's an easy task people can go and do. That's a brilliant one. We've got so many people that we both like, haven't we? Like authors. Yeah. I'll put some of them in the show notes if people haven't been able to capture those. Like Oliver Berkman was another one. Yes. I yes. absolutely adore his book. Thank yeah. you for that. You recommended that oh, to me. It, I, I thought it. it was the best book of the year that I read. It was the last Me year. too. Yeah, I need to read it me again. Too. So me good. too. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so some quick fire before we finish. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yes. What's something that people often get wrong about you? I think often people think that I'm frivolous and don't know how to do deep. Oh, really? I would never have thought that. <laughs> Give us a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your life that brings you joy. That's a Brené Brown question I've stolen. Mm. Oh, honestly, I know I should say my children, but it's probably <laughs> walking, having a cuddle with my dog. <laughs> We'll have to make sure the three of them get to listen to this. I do love my children beyond anything in the world, but my dog gives unconditional love at all times. Yeah, it doesn't talk back. It's easier. Exactly. Something that keeps you awake at night. My busy mind. And am I doing a good job? I'm so with you on that one. Um, What's your most used emoji? Now, can I just quickly say, it's the laughing emoji, but we've had a discussion about this today. (laughs) If you use the, the, the slanty... Yeah. laughing emoji rather than the straight up laughing emoji yeah apparently that's what old people do so what, if you use, use the slanty one instead of if you straight. use the sideways one which I use all the time yeah. my kids are like that's an old person emoji <laughs> so, yeah listeners. how is that even a thing I'll tell you the worst thing my dad thought that that laughing emoji was somebody crying so every time there was something sad and I'm serious like a really sad thing like somebody in the family said well he kept ending it with that laughing emoji he didn't know okay moving on um who would you most like to have dinner with and why yeah, currently it's um, Stephen Bartlett. We'd love to talk to him about a few things. I'll pop his podcast in the show notes. What's the best or the worst piece of advice you've ever received? I think the worst piece of advice is that you can have it all. You can't. You can't, yeah. I just don't believe you can, and I think that's just so unhelpful. It sets expectations, doesn't it? What did you learn about yourself over lockdown? I learned that I can do hard things and I also learned that I am in far less control over things in my life than I cared to realise. There is very little in my sphere of control. Yeah, and I think I realised that there's so much that we think we lead on in our lives when actually there is a lot that is is external factors that if you stop and think, you know, you don't choose where you're born, you don't choose who you're born to, you don't choose uh, what your your genes are made of. There, is, there are so many things about who we are that are actually not in our control and learning the difference between what's in my control and what isn't, it was an important lesson that it's I needed to learn. A zen-like perspective you can get if you can really absorb that, which I wish yeah. I could achieve when I come. I'm so not zen. You know, <laughs> yeah. I am like the opposite of zen. I know, me what? too. I'd love to be zen. My husband's quite zen. Oh, I um, love zen people. <laughs> <laughs> what one book would you recommend to everyone at the moment? Well, we've said one already, yeah. haven't we? Oliver um, Berman. Yeah, I mean, that is the one I would probably absolutely say is the best book I've read in recent times. Favourite nonfiction that I absolutely loved was a book called A Fine 
Balance by Rohinton Mystery. Oh, I haven't read it. Oh, but I really loved it. I loved it. Definitely loved it. It's a very different choice. It's a totally not self-improvement book. I just loved it. Just beautiful, loved it. Thank but you. Four thousand weeks wins the day at yeah. the moment for my best recommend. If you haven't read it, get it in your list. It's really good on Audible if you oh, haven't got time to read it. We're getting to the end. Um, who's a role model for you? Oh, this is, I, I mean, this is utter cheese. Um, but my mom is probably the most other-serving person that I would ever know. Um, she has no desire for profile for herself. And I do think the world is made up of so many people that are absolute gold that nobody will ever know about. Um, in terms of people that do have a profile, mm. I mean, it's an obvious choice and everyone says it, but I just think Michelle Obama is somebody with poise and grace, confidence, intelligence and integrity. Yeah, really good. Thank you. They're, they're nothing like each other, those two role models. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Your final top tips for new GP leaders listening to this. Get comfortable with who you are. Bring your own contribution with all your heart and let other people bring what they bring to complete the picture. Do not try and be at all. Get comfortable with your contribution and grow the leadership that you've got within you to grow rather than the the one you wish you'd got. What do you mean don't try to be a door? Don't try and be at all. Sorry. Don't try and be a door. That, that could have been very profound, but it so wasn't. Sorry. Don't try and be at all as a leader. Know what you do. Where you know I'll delete this bit. Don't, no, don't. It's good. No, you left it on such a lovely note. And I was like, why is she saying don't be a door? You ruined the wisdom that you were sharing. I mean, there could be something really profound in there if I thought about it, but don't try and be at all. Be the leader that you are able to be. That's with all your heart <laughs> thank you Hannah that's such good advice I love chatting to you it's such a privilege to have you as part of Next Gen we are so lucky that our paths crossed and you continue mm. to help us so much and I'm glad that now people who maybe are not part of Next Gen who are listening have got to hear a bit from mm. you and mm. if they want to reach you and maybe join some of your courses and things what's the best yeah what's the best way yeah social media it's hannah lou miller anywhere on social media i'm sure you'll put that in the show notes um and yeah. my website is hellosidekick.co um either of those places uh dm me message me email me carry a pigeon i love to hear from people so get in touch and i'll do my best to get back to you brilliant thank you so much hannah it was amazing and thank you for making time for next gen oh it's a pleasure thank you for having me So that was episode 28 with strengths coach Hannah Miller and lots of links to look at in the show notes that she mentioned there. That's it for this week. Thanks so much for joining us and for choosing to listen. If you could subscribe and share the podcast, we'd really appreciate it. And if you want to keep in touch with NextGen, sign up to our monthly bulletin, the links in the show notes. We'll see you next time for the NextGen cast. Bye.